0: This is Cabernet and True Crime, a place where good wine and true crime come together. Hi, friends. So, um, I posted earlier today. It is, today is Monday. And, um, I, I just want to start this off with saying, you know, thanks. This past month or two has been a really trying time in, you know, my world for my mental health <laughs> sanity. And you know, mental health is very important, and knowing when to take breaks and doing what you need to do for yourself, I also feel is really important. So um, this weekend was a very trying time (laughs) for me, and um, I kind of shut down yesterday, and I, you know, had a really rough time, and Luckily I have a great boyfriend and a great support system who tried to get me out of the house and try to make me feel better. So I took the day off from doing anything, even posting, you know, the video I was supposed to post. Supposed to post. And I mean it sucks and I feel guilty for not posting it, but at the same time, like I can't I can't be that person who does that all the time. <laughs> Both ways. You know, I can't completely shut down, but I can't be. go all the time. And yesterday was a really good example. And I'm honestly really happy that I did it because um, today I was able to research and get ahead on like two and a half new episodes and kind of get my fundamental basis there so I can record them. And that makes me really happy because now I feel kind of ahead of the game and I feel much better um, getting ready for it. Uh, So for you who don't know, November is um, NaNoWriMo, or National Novel Writing Month, and if you don't know, I am currently writing a novel. Um, totally fiction and ho- hopefully spooky, but if not, I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, so it I'm trying to prepare myself so that in November I can be prepared to do this and also do Nano and also do my hundred and fifty mile run challenge and also work full time. Um, I think it's fully possible, but I think there's gonna need to be scheduled breaks and knowing exactly where my limits are because I think if I push myself too hard, I will crumble and all of them will fail. Um, and that can't happen. So um, I think I just I was a little bit too much of a yes a yes man and I just said yes to too many things for a small time period. So November's gonna be kind of crazy. So bear with me in advance. Uh, you know, it's going to be a difficult time for me, but it's fine. I feel fully confident in myself that I can handle it. All right, let's get into, let's stop talking about my mental health and go right into somebody else's fucked up life because I'm done talking about myself. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm never done talking about myself. The only thing I like to talk about more than serial killers is me, so hope you're into that. All right, so today we are going to be talking about Christopher Bernard Wilder, Um, have to say Christopher Bernard Wilder just this one time so you know that he's not a different Christopher Wilder because there are several other ones and they are not serial killers. They are upstanding, I would presume, citizens who are living their best lives and they are not this fucked up piece of shit. Alright? Cool. So CBW, I'm only- I'm never saying that again. So, no, this is not those people. Alright, so he was born on March 13th, 1945 in Sydney, Australia. So that's a fun place to be born, I would presume. Um, His dad was an American naval officer. His mother was an Australian. Um, Christopher almost died at birth. And he was actually apparently so close to death that his last rites were read. But he survived and powered through. Um, And then he almost drowned in a swimming pool at two years old. And then by age three, he suffered convulsions while riding with his parents in the car and had to be resuscitated. So we all know that I'm not particularly religious, but it really does seem <clears throat> like God is just trying to smite this fucker down. Like He, he was trying to stop what was going to happen and be in the future and it didn't work. So as you can assume, I would not be writing a podcast about him if the story ended there or anytime soon. So we're going to continue on. On January 4th, 1963, So, at this point, Wilder is 17. I presume that his, like, life up until then was relatively normal, I would guess, Um, but it's about to get really unnormal. but, so, yeah, no, I'm probably presuming it was not normal, which is nothing was reported during this time, because um, when he was 17, he and a group of friends raped a 13-year-old girl. His friends denied taking part in the assault, but he pled guilty to, quote, carnal knowledge And, um, so I had to look that up because A, that's like an Australian thing, and B, I've never heard of that before, and so by the distributive property, C, I was interested in what carnal knowledge was. So, carnal knowledge, and I got this from LegalDictionary at TheFreeDictionary.com, carnal knowledge is, um so-called penetration is an essential element of sexual intercourse and there is carnal knowledge even if even the slightest penetration of the female by the male organ takes place it is not required that the hymen be ruptured or the vagina entered so it's that that carnal knowledge that you know by even attempting the act that you're about to do is like it's bad like you you should know that all the, all the steps leading up to the step that you're about to even do what you're going to do is carnal knowledge. So, that's under, I'm assuming, what that means. Also, uh, apologies in advance. I feel like I'm yelling, and I won't be able to know until I listen to this back if I am or not. So, if I'm yelling, sorry. Also, my stomach's really rumbly, so if you hear that too, I'm sorry. Um, boop, 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 boop. Okay, so yeah, he um, got a year of probation with mandatory counseling and he was also required to attend group therapy and received electroshock treatments. So in my personal opinion, um that always seems like a path forward at least at that time frame for like people who were wrongdoers which um I don't know if I agree with that because it seems counterintuitive like so this person has angry tendencies and is, like, an unstable person, so let's shock the hell out of them. Like, let's put a large amount of electricity through their body and hope they come out normal at the end, because I feel like odds are they're probably not going to come out more normal than they were when you started this, right? Or is that just me? It might just be me. Um, But so, okay, there's this guy named Duncan McNabb, And he has his own theory on the whole ordeal and his own theory on, like, Christopher Wilder's childhood and those fundamental building blocks that make a person who they are. And McNabb claims, and he states that, so although there's claimed evidence that his electroshock made him worse, so there was people who said, like, oh, yeah, he was way more awful after he got electroshock therapy, McNabb seems to believe there is no evidence that Wilder even had electroshock therapy and he also stated that he believes that the near-drowning event at 2, which is a fabricated lie from Christopher Wilder himself, and that no such thing even happened, so that the electroshock therapy and the drowning incident were both fake and not even real. Um, which is interesting, so Duncan McNabb wrote a book called The Snapshot Killer, Um, The Shocking True Story of Predator and Serial Killer Christopher Wilder from Sydney's Beaches to America's Most Wanted by Duncan McNabb. Um, I have not read it yet, but I did purchase it. You can get it on Kindle for $2.99, and it is 280 pages long. I do actually want to read it, but I did not have time to read it before I recorded this. So, Um, I will be reading that. I have it purchased. I'm excited for it. So if you want to buy it, you can, because it's America, and you can do what you want. Okay, so Christopher Wilder got married at 23 years old in 1968. His marriage did not last long, um, and the, the amount of time it lasted is different depending on where you read it, but a week to a few days tops. Um, she complained about his sexual abuse and, right after getting married, discovered underwear that didn't belong to her and photographs of naked women in a briefcase Wilder kept in his car. Yep, that's totally normal things. Um, My only question is, did they date before? Was this, like, a real old-fashioned marriage where they just, like, went on a date and held hands once and they're like, let's get married, and then, like, you fall into the situation where... You find out that your new husband is, like, a real fucking psychopath when it comes to, like, bed and he's got, you know, I feel like those things, had you had an unconventional, you know, if you were living in sin, as they say, you'd know those things before, uh, you know, you got to that point, before you were legally obliged to somebody, you know? That's just personal preference. Um, I'd, you know, I'd like to know what the hell was wrong with somebody before I decided to marry them. (laughs) Is it a flavor of wrong I can deal with? Cause I'm not sure. Um, and this, I only found one incidence of this, so of this story. And I don't know if it's because I was searching the wrong thing or if I, if only one person wrote about it and they had like privy to the knowledge of it. I'm not sure. Um, so In 1969, um, apparently he used naked photographs to get an Australian woman to have sex with him. She attempted to press charges, but they were dropped when she refused to testify in court, which, in my opinion, would make sense. Um, Like, why would she want to replay this scenario again and then probably have those pictures, her nude pictures shown in court with a jury, like looking at it with other people, hearing about your situation, when you could just be like, nope, you know what? It's not worth going through that again because, like, you know, the pain of it all over again, I would understand why somebody would want to back out, especially because in 1969, I mean, I know Australia is probably more progressive than America in a lot of things, um, but we're still asked backwards when it comes to things like sexual assault and rape and any type of situation like that in America, um, where you could have somebody get convicted of rape and be be get like probation like what happened to Christopher Wilder already once in his life so it sucks but it seems like you know the fear of her like they the society today is like there's a fear of coming to police or to courts or the 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 justice system to you know get the situation to stop but then there's also the situation where a man knows that he could do it and maybe end up with a year probation and some electroshock therapy and be like, fuck it, that was worth it. Like, you know, I got what I wanted and I barely got punished for it, so why not do it again? Um, I'm not here to be political or tell my stance on anything. I'm just saying I could see why she didn't do it, but I can see why Christopher Wilder doesn't get better because he's never punished for his actions until it's too late. And actually, Christopher Wilder is never punished for his actions, so... Maybe if he had been punished, like, maybe things would have ended up differently. Um, so the same year, so 1969, the same year that, that, um, assault happened, um, he moved to Bonton, Boynton Beach, Florida. It's B-O-Y-N-T-O-N Beach, Florida. I don't know exactly how to say that. Um, which is between Jupiter and Boca Raton, um, on the east coast of Florida, which I thought was weird when I looked this up. It's actually really funny. I've actually certainly driven through this city, um. I've been to Hollywood, Florida on vacation before, and my grandma lives in Palm City, which is about an hour north, and this city's on the coastline on the way up there, so I've definitely driven through the city before, so that's kind of weird, and I never even knew he lived there. kind of wish I knew that now. Um, So here's the other thing. Depending on where you get the information, the account, like, his beginning life and, like, touchdown in Florida is very different um, they both say the same things, but one is very, a lot more cynical than the other, if you will. So Wikipedia says, um, in Florida, he had an upscale home and was successful in real estate while developing an interest in photography. It, sound, it sounds like a nice, like, okay, dude, you wouldn't even know you were looking up a serial killer. Um, But there's a book um, Michael Newton wrote called An Encyclopedia of Modern Serial Killers, and he says he prospered in the fields of construction and electrical contracting, earning, or borrowing, enough money to finance fast cars and a luxurious bachelor pad, compete with a hot tub, and a private photo studio. Which sounds even more bougie, but he sounds a little more like a dick, and it sounds like he didn't work for that money. He's also referred to in a couple articles as a chick magnet. Um, regardless of what the point is on either of those, he seemed very successful, rich, and it looked like he had his life together. I, I, I kind of saw the comparison to, like, American Psycho if, you know, someone who seems really put together and has a lot of money and kind of flaunts them, like, their wealth, but really they're just fucked up and they want to, like, rape and murder people on the inside, kind of that vibe with him. Um, so from 1971 to 1975, he had various charges against him related to sexual misconduct, in 1971 he was at pompano beach soliciting women to pose nude for photos he was arrested and charged and entered a guilty plea for quote disturbing the peace and only received a small fine not punished in october 19 or 1977 he threatened to beat a girl if she wouldn't give him oral sex he was jailed for it um which i wrote i don't know how long but so, he admitted the crime to his therapist and was later acquitted of the crime, so I'm assuming he only served jail time for, like, however, however long it took to try him. So, like, a pre-trial jail time. So, not punished. He raped a young woman he had lured to his truck on the pretense of taking her picture for a modeling project. Um, so this will ultimately become part of his M.O. and why he's called the, um, Beauty Queen Killer. Because he had a thing for, like... That was how he got victims. He'd be like, wow, you're beautiful. Let me take your picture so I can make you a famous model. And it would work most of the time. I'm assuming some of the time, at least. And then he'd rape and kill them. Um... Yes. So, yeah. He raped a woman... Uh, raped uh A young woman he lured to his truck on the pretense of taking her picture for a modeling project. Um... Although he was convicted for several of these crimes, he never served jail time for them, not punished. Um, In that same year, a psychologist deemed Christopher Wilder unsafe unless he was in a structured environment. He went by the name David Pierce, and he would approach girls on the beach at shopping malls and other popular places while offering to take the picture and make them famous. Now, so, okay, here's the part, where if you weren't sure... If this serial killer is familiar to you or not, because I know right now some of you are thinking, like, shit, this sounds like this guy sounds familiar. And I promise you, you will know who he is because I'm sure if you watch FBI files or forensic files or whatever they called it back then, he was on an episode of forensic files. And the further we go, you'll be like, oh shoot, I do know who this guy is because. I didn't know who Christopher Wilder was until I got about halfway through researching and, like, kept going, and I was like, oh, no, no, I remember this episode. I, like, very distinctly remember this episode of Forensic Files. Um, so, yeah. In 1980, he lured a teenage girl to his car with the premise of a modeling career, then drove her to a rural area and raped her. He was arrested and pled guilty to attempted sexual battery, which earned him five more years of probation and more required therapy not punished at this point christopher wilder complains he's suffering from blackouts on december 28th 1982 on a trip back to see his family on australia wilder was accused of kidnapping two 15 year old girls from the beach he forced them to pose for pornographic snapshots Um, police had found him through the license plate number on his rental car i'm assuming that one of the girls recognized it or remembered it or knew something about it that they could um, track him um, he was arrested the next day and charged with kidnapping and indecent assault. He was released on a three hundred fifty thousand dollar bail, and Christopher was allowed to return to the U.S. His trial was scheduled for May seventh, nineteen eighty three, and due to court delays, was um, the trial was actually scheduled to take place on April third, nineteen eighty four, because of the delays and whatever happened. Um, but the problem is they couldn't have known then that Christopher Wilder would never be tried for his crimes, just ever. Um, so I didn't know what else to call this section besides victims and, um, a structured timeline of events. There's a lot of things that it's weird to see the progression of things and how they go. Um, so the last thing we heard, he was in Australia in December, the end of 1982. So right before 1983 and things kind of go quiet. Like he missed, I don't know. Things went kind of quiet, so we'll, we'll start here in this timeline of structured events. On February 26, 1984, 20-year-old 20 yep, Rosario Gonzalez disappeared from her job at the Miami Grand Prix. I read somewhere that she was handing out aspirin samples, but I don't feel like that's the case, because I think that sounds weird, but I could be wrong. Um, Christopher Wilder was driving as a contestant that day, and witnesses saw her leaving with a man that matched his description. Also, did I mention that Christopher Wilder drives race cars? I may have missed that. He drives race cars. Um, Rosario was a spokesmodel, apparently for Aspirin, depending on where you read it, and Wilder was there to race the, um, in the IMSA GTU class, which I don't know what that means, I looked it up, but I still don't understand it, a race, um, and he was in a Porsche 911. Porsche 911, which I I did look up. It's a beautiful car. Cool. Um, on March 5th, 1984, Elizabeth Kenyon, uh, Miss Florida, Miss Florida finalist, and also Wilder's ex-girlfriend went missing. Um, she vanished from the school she taught in Coral Gables. She had been seen with, um, our, our boy Christopher Wilder that day at a local gas station. Eventually, he was linked to the crime, um, by a private detective that Kenyon's family hired to look into her disappearance. His name and contact information was in her address book. The bodies of both of these women have never been found. Um, Wilder's 39th birthday was on March 13th. He bought himself a 1973 Chrysler. On March 16th, the Miami Herald released in the newspaper that a bond, bond on whoa, the beach where he lived, where he bought a house, that word that I apparently cannot say. Um, so A driver was wanted for questioning and the disappearance of two women. Um, So Wilder's name was never used in the article, but he didn't need it to be. He knew they were talking about him. So um, he missed his scheduled therapy appointment on the 17th, which was the next day. And then he also met with a business partner that night and told him that he was not going to jail. Wilder packed his car, dropped off his dogs at a kennel, and fled. On March 18th, 1984, Wilder met 21-year-old Teresa Waite Ferguson and lured her from the Merritt Square Mall in Merritt Island, Florida. He murdered her and dumped her body at Canaveral Groves, which is a rural, lowly populated area of Florida, but, if, but there are a few state routes, like popular state routes, and um, I-95, a major highway, run through the area. She was discovered um, five days later. On March 20th, Wilder abducted 19-year-old Linda Grover from a mall in Tallahassee, Florida. She was a student attending Florida State University. He took her from Tallahassee to Bain, Bainbridge, Georgia. He assaulted her in the parking lot of the mall and asked her to model for him, which she turned down. He tied her hands up, wrapped her in a blanket, and put her in the trunk of his car. He took her to Glen Oaks Motel and raped her. And this next part is a little wild and a little graphic, um, but it has a happy ending, so bear with me. So he used a blow dryer and super glue to blind her. So he put super glue over like, all over her eyes so she couldn't see and was electrocuting her through her feet with copper wires and an electric current. She was able to escape from whatever device he had to keep her restrained and ran to the bathroom. She locked herself inside and began pounding on the walls until help arrived. Um, he got scared, took all of her belongings, and fled. On March 21st, he approached a 23-year-old wife, mother, and nursing student named Terry Walden in Beaumont, Texas. He asked her if she would be interested in posing as a model. She turned him down and moved on. We know this is the case because Terry told her husband that night she had been approached by a bearded man while she was traveling between classes at school. She said she had been solicited for a modeling job, and she said that she had thanked him and declined the offer. Two days later, on March 23rd, Terry ran into Christopher again, and he kidnapped her. He stabbed her to death and dumped her body in a canal where she was found on March 26th. After he murdered her, he stole her 1981 Mercury Cougar. Her husband remembered the weirded conversation and informed police of the exchange. On March 25th, Christopher Wilder abducted 20, 21-year-old Suzanne Logan at the Penn Square Mall in Oklahoma City. He drove for over 180 miles to Newton, Kansas and checked into the I-35M. He had breakfast the next morning and drove to a place called Milford Reservoir, which is another 90 miles northeast, and stabbed her to death and dumped her body under a cedar tree near Junction City. By March 19th, Wilder had driven over 700 miles west to Grand Junction, Colorado. He kidnapped 18-year-old Cheryl Bonaventura. A witnesses, which would be like restaurant staff, at the diner in Silverton said the pair had told him they were going to Las Vegas. On March 30th, they were seen at the Four Corners Monument and then checked into a hotel in Page, Arizona. Wilder shot and stabbed her to death the next day or, that day or the next, near the Kenab River in Utah. Her body wasn't found until May 3rd. On April 1st, Christopher killed um, 17-year-old Michelle Korfman. She disappeared from a 17 Magazine cover model competition in the Meadows Mall in Las Vegas. And it's if you Google it, there is a picture, a creepy-ass picture, where you can see Christopher Wilder sitting in the background watching the competition take place, and he's got, like, this shit grin on his face, like, watching all these, like, these teenagers model around on stage in, like, these skimpy cut-off shorts, and, like, it's just, it's crazy that you can see him there. It's absolutely Christopher Wilder. Um, Michelle's body was found near a Southern Calif- California road stop on May 11th, but wasn't identified via dental records until the middle of June. On April 3rd, 1984, Christopher Wilder is officially on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted list. His name is added after three murders, one kidnapping, and four disappearances occur, and he's a suspect in all of them. On April 4th, Wilder abducts 16-year-old Tina Marie Resicchio in Torrance, California. Wilder kept her alive and assaulted her nightly during their cross country trek back east. It is believed that Wilder thought that having a young female companion would help him get more victims. The two landed in Maryville, Indiana. On April 10th, Donette Wilt was taken from a shopping mall in Maryville, Indiana. On April 12th, Donette was stabbed and left for dead near Rochester, New York. She tied a pair of jeans around herself to staunch the bleeding and staggered to a nearby highway and flagged down a motorist. She was taken to the hospital, where she survived. She told the local police that Christopher Wilder was headed for Canada. On April 12th, 33-year-old Beth Dodge is abducted near Victor, New York. She was forced into Wilder's vehicle, on um, which I'm assuming he's still using the, um, the cougar from the previous victim, and Tina follows behind in Dodge's Pontiac Firebird. Dodge is shot to death, and her body is thrown in a nearby gravel pit. After the murder, and in a shocking, unexplained act of compassion, Wilder drove to Logan Airport in Boston and bought a one-way ticket to LA and sent Tia Marie Resicchio, his teenage assistant, on her way home. On April, 8th, April 13th, um, Wilder is in Beverly, Massachusetts. He pulls a gun on a woman, and she flees on foot. Wilder stops for gas later the day in Colebrook, New Hampshire. He is noticed by two New Hampshire state troopers. So as the troopers approach Wilder, he retreated to his car to grab his, Col- his Colt Python uh, 357 Magnum. Wilder was grabbed from behind, and in the scuffle, two shots were fired. The first shot went through Wilder, exiting from his back and into the trooper. The second bullet went directly into Wilder's chest. The coroner used the term cardiac obliteration to describe uh, Wilder's wounds. Christopher Wilder was killed, and the trooper was seriously wounded but was able to recover and return to full duty. Wilder was cremated in Florida and had personal estate worth more than $7 million. In June of 1986, it was determined that the after-tax value would be divided among the families of the victims. Um, so it is ironic to know that he was 10, when he was caught, he was about 10 minutes away from the border into Canada, and he didn't make it. So that's how it all went down. So, despite the known victims, there's quite a large list of other possible women who met their untimely fate at the hands of this guy. So, I'm going to also go through the suspected um, victims. There was also a list of confirmed not his victims, but I didn't see the point in mentioning them here if they already know who killed them, you know. Um, Or they know for sure it wasn't him. So, there's 15-year-old Kelly Orsborn. She went missing from daytona beach uh, march 15th 1984. she was staying at a hotel in daytona beach that day there's no hard evidence to connect them um, but her body was found a few weeks later partially buried near a lake in orange county florida but she wasn't formally id'd until 2011. australia's wanda beach murders um, which would be the murders of marianne schmidt and christine sherrock at wanda beach on january eleventh, nineteen 1965 um, he looks similar to a police sketch and he remains a suspect although the case is unsolved Mary opitz 17 um, she disappeared from the Fort Myers Florida on January 16 1981 she was last seen uh, walking towards a parking lot so a little over a month later a girl who looked like crazy similar to opitz Mary Hare went missing from the same parking lot her body had been found in June of that year she was stabbed to the um, stabbed in the back and her death was ruled a homicide in 1982 skeletal remains of two female bodies are found in Loxahatchee Florida suspiciously close to a property that Wilder owned one victim had been dead for over three years and her fingers had been cut off in 2013 the body was ID'd as Tina Marie Beebe. the other woman had been dead for a few months and was never ID'd Sherry Lynn Ball was 20 years old and an aspiring model she went missing in 1983 from Boca Raton Florida Her body was found sometime after, but not ID'd until, um, 2014. The MO connects Wilder, but no physical evidence does. Nancy K. Brown was 25 in Rantoul, Illinois. She disappeared while on vacay in Cocoa Beach, Florida on June 6, 1983. They found her remains in Canaveral Groves in March 1984, which I thought was particularly interesting, um, because they possibly found her body when they located the body of Teresa Ferguson. Um, so, Teresa Ferguson's body was also... Her remains were found in March of 1984. I think it's really ironic that you'd find two bodies of murdered women in the same area in the same month of the same year. Um, I'm wondering if they, they like stumbled across both. Or... Um, I mean, I hate to say it, but there are, in each area, a popular dumping spot, if you will. Like, a a good place where you could put something and have it never be found. I don't know any of those places, because I've never needed to dispose of something, but, like, I'm sure... I'm just wondering, you know, philosophizing that is this one of those places, and that the odds of two females ending up, like, their bodies ending up there wasn't that weird or suspicious? But I don't know. Um but it is interesting that she was on vacation and her body was dumped in the same place as another one of his victims, but that is what it is. Um, Tammy Lynn Leppert, 18 was last seen, uh, last seen alive on July 6, 1983 in Cocoa beach, Florida. She was heard having a heated conversation with a quote, male companion, The victim's family filed a lawsuit against Wilder, but dropped it um, even before he died. The family say that they never really thought he was involved because, although he had a long history of sex crimes, he didn't start killing women until the following year, at least as far as confirmed victims go. And then finally, there's a Jane Doe in Broward County. She was found floating on the canal on February eighteenth, nineteen 1984, in Davie, Florida. It's believed she had been killed two days earlier and she was strangled to death. It's really difficult to know who did it when you don't know who is dead. Um, but just because of the time and place of her, it's possible that he could have been involved somehow. Um, so with, with that being said, that, my friends, is Christopher Wilder and everything that I know about him. <laughs> so I hope you all have a just a delightful True Crime Tuesday and... I will hopefully be in the right mindset to give you guys a serial killer Sunday. So goodbye.